Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Myers Detox Podcast. My name is Wendy Myers of MyersDetox.com. And on this show, we talk about everything related to heavy metal and chemical detoxification and, and issues that can arise, issues surrounding that topic as well. Today, we have Spencer Feldman on the show to talk about using detox suppositories versus chelation. And we also talk about, uh, you know, calcification of the tissues. A lot of people are dealing with calcification of their soft tissues. We talk about why that's happening and what you can do about it, how you can really regenerate your health. And it's kind of like an anti-aging detox to get rid of this calcium. And we'll also talk about, you know, why people have different issues with detoxification. They have detox symptoms and why that is unnecessary and what you can do to, to stop that from happening or prevent that from happening. We'll talk about liver flushes and some of the pros and cons of that. We'll talk about coffee enemas and why some people don't feel good after coffee enemas. And we'll also talk about Spencer's line of suppositories and how they've solved a lot of these little issues that people have when they run into kind of roadblocks with detoxification with their detox symptoms and why this is happening and how the suppositories can be used to kind of circumvent any detox problems that people are having. And we'll also talk about voltage in the body and why when people have low voltage, their aging antioxidants uh, help to increase the voltage in the body, but why they kind of fall short and why we actually need to focus on different ways where we can add electrons to our body and the result of that, how that, you know, raising that voltage in your cells helps your body to detox better, helps all the parasites want to like leave your body. And just a really, really interesting conversation today with Spencer. I know some of you guys are, you know, really concerned about the level of heavy metals and toxins in your body. So I created a quiz that you can take at heavymetalsquiz.com that will help you to determine what your relative level of toxins are in your body, your body burden of toxins. And then following doing the quiz and getting your results, you get a free video series that answers a lot of your frequently asked questions about detox. For instance, you know what kind of testing you should do, what kind of supplements are good to get started with, how long does it take to detox? Talks and a lot of other questions are answered after you take the quiz at heavymetalsquiz.com. Our guest today, Spencer Feldman. He is a multiple patent holding inventor with more than 20 years of experience formulating and manufacturing detoxification products for doctors and their patients. His trailblazing use of suppositories to deliver ingredients that would otherwise require intravenous IV therapy has changed the way many doctors do detoxification. The owner and formulator of the Remedy Link brand of products now in his 50s lives with his partner completely off grid on his 100 acre farm where he spends his time tending his orchard and garden while continuing to design new products to help detoxify people in our ever more toxic world. You can learn more about Spencer Feldman and his amazing suppository supplement line for detox at remedylink.com. Spencer, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Wendy. 
So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became so focused and started your business around detoxification? Sure. So I was uh, in college on track to become an emergency room surgeon, which is what I wanted to do. And uh, somewhere, I think maybe in my junior year, there was, I think, maybe a measles outbreak or something. And uh, so everybody dutifully lined up to get vaccinated, and I was among them. And I noticed after the vaccine, I, I didn't correlate it with the vaccine, but afterwards, uh, I couldn't eat soup because the, the soup would shake out of the spoon before my, got the spoon to my mouth. I started getting really shaky. And I said, well, there goes my ability to become a surgeon because can't do that with shaky hands. Um, in retrospect, but I, all right. So then I, you know, I went to the, my doctor and I said, Hey, you know, look at my hands are shaking. What is that? And he goes, well, here's a drug. I'm like, okay, but you know, I'm 19, I'm 20. Why are they shaking? He goes, it's not my job to educate, educate you. I've got 10 more people to see, you know, take the drug. And I said, wow. Okay. I started studying, you know, alternative medicine. I thought, if I, I can't be a surgeon, maybe I can still be in the field and a support role. Years later, what I realized was I had a reaction to the vaccination. Uh, maybe I got uh, from the bottom of the vial where there's more mercury or something. So I started studying alternative medicine. And at that time, 25 years ago, one of the things that caught my interest was chelation, which is um, using acids, basically, to bind to metals to make them soluble. And, um, you know, at this point, I guess, let me tell you what I, what I think detox is, because that was really where I started going. I, I realized I was toxic and I had to get it out. If you have a toxin and it's water soluble, then you, it, it comes out in the urine. But there are toxins that don't come out in the urine. These are ones that are either fat soluble or have crystallized. And so detox is understanding how to get rid of these other two classes of toxins. Now, imagine you have a greasy dish. That's fat, right? And the, the fat in the greasy dish has got toxins in it, right? It's chunky, it's disgusting. If you pour water over the dish or dunk it in water, not much happens because the grease is not water soluble. But if you mix detergent in, the detergent reacts with the grease to make it water soluble, and now the, uh, the grease washes clean. So detergent is the detox, is the soap for grease, right? So we're looking for things that can be soaps for our various toxins. So uh, EDTA, which is the chelator I first got involved with, and chelator means to claw, to grab, is the, the soap for metals. And what it does is, um, you know, there's lots of good metals and lots of bad metals in the body. You know, good metals would be things like calcium and zinc and copper and some types of chromium and potassium and magnesium uh, and they bind and form salts and inside the body so you know, calcium bonds with phosphorus and you get calcium phosphate that makes the bones and you know um, things will bind with sulfur and you've got connective tissue and so the whole body is made out of all of these different things but the problem is some of the metals the toxic metals they look like regular metals and the body incorporates them in and they can get jammed in the pumps inside the cells and they can get stuck in things. So they end up crystallizing and some of the metals are, end up getting into the fatty tissue. So 
detox at its most simplest is understanding how to make soaps for the ones that are fat soluble and how to dissolve the ones that are crystallized. Because if dissolving a salt, like if you take a salt crystal and put it in water, it dissolves. It's now water soluble and out it goes. So um, a lot of people are filled up, with, filled up with crystals in their tissue and they're filled up with toxic fats and they don't know how to get them out. And the body has an ability <clears throat> to get fat soluble toxins out and crystallized salts, toxic salts out, but it's limited. And if it's in the fat, the body might think, well, it's in the fat, it's not the end of the world, I can leave it there, it's fine. But the brain's also fat, so that's not necessarily the optimal strategy. So, you know, we have a native ability to detoxify. We have a native ability to break things down and, and, and make them soluble. But that native ability is um, really overwhelmed with the task that we are giving it in the 21st century. So, for instance, you know, if you were drinking water from a mountain stream, there might be, or a well, there might be some arsenic in it. It's fine. And your body has a capacity to get rid of that. But when your body's full of mercury fillings, that's way more than it was designed to be able to handle. And we have the ability to detoxify chemicals because, you know, the paleolithic hunter-gatherer, you're, you're eating the occasional bad wild mushroom or you've got the, you maybe got cut and bit and there's an infection and it's putting toxins into the body or you eat a plant that hasn't been bred for the last 10,000 years to be sweet and toxin-free and it's a little bitter and kind of medicinal. So, you know, we have this ability to get rid of toxic chemicals too. But again, you know, in the 21st century where, you know, you, you work in an office that just got a new a floor and formaldehyde's coming out and, you know, you put on clothes, just came back from the dry cleaners and there's thousand and one chemicals on your food that they don't have to tell you about. We just get overwhelmed. So uh, to me, detox is using the science that we have now in the 21st century to counter, you know, it's like the good, the white hats and the bad hats, you know, the, the bad hats are putting all these toxins into the environment and the good hats are the white hats, the good, the good guys are saying, okay, this is how the body is designed. Let's work with it to try to get some of these chemicals out. Yeah. I think people don't realize that, you know, there's 80 to a hundred thousand chemicals in our environment. There's more coming out every year. And it's kind of laughable when you I talk to medical doctors and they think, oh, detox is, that's a scam. You don't need to, to detox and without really thinking it through that, you know, our, our bodies are dealing with so much more than it was designed to do. And then given the fact that, you know, 80 million people or more have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Those are the people with a diagnosis and not to mention all the other people that uh, livers are under-functioning uh, and mm. liver is just you know, one aspect of detox. So can you talk a little bit about that and, and also how these toxins kind of jam up all of our cellular yeah. machinery and affect our different organ systems sure. negatively? And, but just to but, uh, just what you brought up, you know, the physicians and nurses are number one and number two in terms of the shortest lifespan by, by profession. It's more dangerous. You, know, you have a shorter lifespan as a doctor or a nurse than as a veteran going to war. So, you know, and I, I think part of that is thousands of, you know, they have to take every vaccine that comes down the pike. Uh, and they don't believe in this. Uh, not every doctor and nurse, but a number of them don't. So, um, 
yeah, I, I really respect physicians and nurses in the emergency room setting. You know, I don't want to go to a, an alternative doctor with an herbal poultice with a gunshot wound or a broken bone or a spurting artery. But I also think I don't want to go to the emergency room modality with a chronic disease. So, yep, you know, I have to understand who's good for what. And, you know, it's a rare position that really can work in both realms. So, you know, I have an ultrasound uh, device because I like to understand the body. And when I first got it, I would start looking inside people's bodies. You know, it gives you extra edition. And I was like, oh my gosh, look how many people walking around with plaque in their arteries and gallstones and kidney stones and fatty liver and cirrhosis. And on the one hand, I was sorry to see it. On the other hand, I was amazed at the capacity of the human body to withstand that degree of abuse and still keep functioning. So in the other way, it's, it's really quite hopeful. Our bodies are impeccably designed to handle incredible abuse and keep going, often without complaint. So a lot of people, you know, they won't get symptoms until they're way late stage. So don't, you know, I don't think it's a good idea to say, well, I'm not toxic because I don't feel bad. Well, your body is, not des is designed not to distract you with symptoms until it's very late stage. And if you look inside, you'll see that lots of people who think that they're in pretty good health are walking around with lots of issues. So, yeah, the liver is, um, I think they, what somebody once said, in order to duplicate the liver, it would take you know, five square blocks full of a thousand scientists working day and night to make all the chemicals it does for us. It's, a, it's an amazing organ. So let's, let's talk about the, the liver's role in detox. Uh, it's not a filter. A lot, you know, that's um, a lot of people think that it's like a car filter and it mechanically catches things. What the liver does actually is it manufactures con uh, conjugates. And so let's back up a step and, and explain what happens. Detox takes uh, there's three phases. Thankfully, they're called phase one, phase two, and phase three for simplicity's sake. Phase one is where the body, the liver, uh, but the tissue will um, upregulate the cytochrome P450 enzymes, whose job it is, is to take a toxin and give it a charge. And they do that by mostly oxidizing it, that's pulling an electron off, but also sometimes reducing it, that's adding one on, or by unmasking a polar group. All these are fancy ways for saying they're making the toxin more reactive. Okay, that's the first phase, kind of like prime it a little bit. Phase two is where the body then adds a conjugate to the toxin, depending on the toxin conjugate they add, to that new charged section they've made. So um, your, your viewers are, I'm sure, familiar with glutathione, but they also, the body can also use glucuron, glucuronic acid, uh, methyl groups, sulfur, acetyl, uh, acetyl groups. There's lots of things that uh, can get attached and depending on whether it's detoxifying a pharmaceutical or a solvent or a xenobiotic or an aflatoxin is what they're going to attach. So that's phase two. And now this toxin has been rendered through phase one and phase two relatively water-soluble. Great. Phase three, out it goes, out the urine, uh, sometimes through the bile and out the feces. And one of the things, that, uh, so what's important is to understand that we need all three phases to work. So uh, viewers are probably familiar with something called the coffee enema, which was pioneered uh, in World War I uh, in a German field hospital. The nurse went to the doctor who eventually wanted to prep uh, an injured soldier for a surgery, 
And she said, uh, we have no more warm water to give them enemas to clean out their bowels before surgery. Doctor, what do we do? Doctor said, there, over there, use that coffee. That'll be fine. So he washed out his bowels with coffee. And being the very uh, observant people that the Germans are, uh, they said, they noticed that he healed with less pain and less complication, faster. And so the coffee enema was born and Max Gerson, uh, the Gerson Cancer Therapy promoted it quite heavily. And so what the coffee enema does is it stimulates phase one. It stimulates, among other things, the cytochrome P450 to make the toxin more reactive. Now, there is um, something called a Herxheimer reaction and or a detox, and it's also a, uh, and one of the types of Herxheimer reactions you could say is the detox reaction. So you, you, you give somebody something that stimulates phase one and they get worse, right? And the reason is because they're crashing on phase two or phase three. So for instance, if you upregulate phase one and you start uh, making all of these toxins that had found uh, kind of settled in wherever they were in the tissue and you make them more reactive, they start to move around and cause more problems. Now you might think that's a bad design, but it's fine if you have phase two because the moment it becomes more reactive, boom, they put the conjugate on and, they, and it gets out the body. But if someone can't do phase two, they're stuck with this phase one, now more toxic material, and they feel terrible. And this is what happened to me. I don't know where I got my chemical sensitivity from years ago, it's gone now. But if I were driving behind a diesel truck and I breathed some of that in, I would get really, I would get full of rage and really nauseous and a headache. And I, was a, I was a real mess for quite some time. I had to wait like, and I would, I would tell everybody around me, I'm saying, look, I'm going to be a complete jerk for the next hour. Don't talk to me. Don't take anything personally. I don't, I, this happens to me. I'm sorry. And I'll walk away. And if we're stuck in the car, just, you know, just, I'm, I'm just going to be quiet for the best I can for now until this passes. Nothing I can do about it. Well, now I realize what was going on is my phase one was working. My phase two wasn't. Right. And this is what happens to people who are, are toxic. If someone gets a very big toxic insult, whether it's chemical or metal, the body will run out typically of phase two first. And so they have the, the phase one goes or the phase two crashes. And now when they're exposed to a toxin, they make it worse internally. So like if you and I, and, a, and a, let's say you and I and a third person were watching a movie and the third person had chemical sensitivities in a movie theater and someone sits next to her who's got a lot of cologne, all three of us are hitting phase one, knocking out that cologne, but she doesn't go to phase two and she gets sick from it. Or sometimes it's a phase three crash where they can get it soluble, right? Because the body can make the soaps, right? Phase one and phase two is like a, a two-part soap process. Um, they can do those, but then the kidneys aren't working really well or the gallbladder is stuck. And now they just sits around there longer than it should. And these are the people that detox them. You know, they do the detox. It doesn't knock them out, but they just feel really blah for quite some time. And I call this one of the, one of the, one of the types of detox traps that people can fall in. So someone takes a product that wasn't designed properly. Either it stimulates phase one, but not phase two or not phase three. And they end up activating the, the toxins that are in them, but they can't finish it. And it makes it worse. And they talked to the manufacturer or the doctor and, the doctor, and they said, oh, that's great. You're detoxing. 
that's a detox sign. Like, no, you're not. That's a detox trap. You, you think you're detoxing, but it's getting worse. If you are detoxing, you should be feeling better. Right? Very rarely, I mean, and this is for people with enormous toxic loads, that no matter how much support you give them, they still don't feel good. Yes, you will still get some people that no matter how well you detox them, they're still not going to enjoy the, the process is still uncomfortable. That's pretty rare. That's like industrial exposure. All right. So let's talk about the detox traps. The first one, as I would call it, is uh, an incomplete detox. And it's not incomplete in the sense that, oh, well, I'll get to it later. Remember, phase one, if it crashes between phase one and phase three, you've actually, that person's actually become more sick, more toxic, because it's made the toxin more reactive, more polar. Uh, there's another one. Like, let's say someone does a chlorella or, or a, a zeolite that isn't clean. You know, someone grabs zeolite, some cheap zeolite that wasn't acid washed, and um, it's full of metals, or chlorella grown off the coast of China, and, uh, and it's got Fukushima junk in it. And they take the chlorella and zeolite, and then they send their urine off to the lab, and they're like, wow, look at all these metals you're dumping. No, those are metals you're absorbing from what you think you're detoxing, right? So there's another trap. And then what happens in, in these two traps is the, the practitioner will say, or the client will say, well, I better do more. And they get sicker. And then they think, oh my God, I'm dumping. I better stay with it. And they just loop and loop and loop. And, and they don't understand why they're spending all this money and all this time getting sicker and sicker and sicker. But philosophically, they just they think, well, it, it makes sense. I must be detoxing. And so those are two traps that I wanted to uh, pose to uh, your, your viewers not to get caught in. The way out of it is whatever you're using should be clean. So you, you, what you're testing for, you know that that's what's coming out of you. And you should make sure that you're doing all three detox phases at the same time. The way I would explain phase three is, Imagine you've inherited an old house and uh, no one's been in there for like 40 years and you open it up and just there's dust everywhere. So you grab a broom. The first thing you do, you do, the first thing you do is not start to sweep. If you were to start to sweep in there, you would be sending dust everywhere and breathing it in and not feeling good. The first thing you do is you open up all the windows and all the doors. Okay, now, now you can start to sweep, right? And you know, you, you're sweeping mindfully, right? You know? And this is what it's like if someone doesn't have phase three opened up in them. Phase three is like the doors and the windows. If you go in with phase one and phase two and you start moving all the toxins around, but there's nowhere for them to leave, or they have, you know, you've left one tiny crack or window open and they've all got to go out that crack, these are the people that are also not gonna, not gonna be very happy. So. The way in which we solved these three detox issues was, uh, so we have the, the metacardium, that's the EDTA, that's with metals. And I made that thinking people wanted EDTA to remove calcium uh, because as we get older, we calcify, we get calcium in the brain and the prostate and the breasts and the muscles, you know, all, you know, all over the place. But uh, the practitioners were telling me, no, we're doing it for metals. So I said, oh. You're using it for detox. What else can I make? And then I started getting into the chemical detox. So the next product that we came out with uh, was Zenoplex. And what it is is um, organic coffee, which is phase one. And then all the conjugates I could find, which is glucuronic acid, 
glutathione, methyl groups, sulfur, acetyl, uh, acetyl groups, uh, everything that the body could possibly use to bind to a toxin so that you wouldn't phase two crash. And uh, so we made that as a suppository. Now you can do a coffee enema if you don't want to do a suppository, but uh, you cannot take the glutathione orally. You can take all the other ones orally. The challenge is uh, some things don't survive digestion. So when you're getting an IV from a doctor's office, you know, the doctor doesn't want to do an IV on you. It's invasive, there's always a risk of infection. It's uncomfortable for you. So the reason an IV is given is either because you have to get it in very quickly, or maybe you have to rehydrate, you know, replace fluids or something, or because it won't survive digestion. Glutathione is one of them. Glutathione is the master detoxifier. It's the master phase two key. It's the, if you have to pick one conjugator, you pick that one. Um, but it, you, it'll get broken down into its three amino acids and then very little of it will be combined. So when you go with a suppository, which is what we make, um, you bypass the digestion and it goes right into the liver and most of it goes to the liver. Some of it goes to um, the sexual organs and, um, and some of the lower uh, abdominal organs. So uh, in the Xenoplex, we have the coffee for stimulating phase one and then all the conjugators for phase two at the exact same time. So we don't give somebody that phase one, phase two crash. So as I'm continuing to study about detox, you know, um, you know, I'm giving the Xenoplex to people and, you know, my chemical sensitivity was gone for the first time. I was like, wow, I don't like breathing in diesel fumes. I don't think it's good for me. And maybe I feel a little funny afterwards, but I don't have those reactions anymore. But then every once in a while, I would get someone who would still have a hard time. I'm like, okay. It's not phase one, it's not phase two. So then I learned about phase three. I'm like, okay, their kidneys and liver aren't flushing properly. It's like the hell, the windows in the old house haven't been raised. And if you look historically, the two things that are done for that are uh, liver gallbladder flushes and kidney flushes. The way people typically do a liver gallbladder flush is they'll take uh, Epsom salts, olive oil, uh, or lemon juice. And the olive oil will stimulate the release of bile, and the Epsom salt dilate the sphincter of Bodhi, which is the little sphincter that holds the gallbladder uh, closed. And they'll try to flush uh, all of the stones out. And one of the things that you hear people saying is, wow, you know, every time I do one of these liver gallbladder flushes, I get more stones out. And then if you actually um, look at the stones that are coming out of people, and you squeeze them, they're, they're just they're not stones, right? So yes, you can flush stones out with that, and it's a great idea in some cases, but it's another one of the traps because what happens is the olive oil you're taking in that amount actually can form little kind of grease balls mixed with bile that you can think are gallstones. So then you have people who will do a gallbladder flush and get out what they think are stones. And then they say, oh, let me do it. And then they read the literature and says, keep doing it until no more storms come out. But every time you take it, you're making new little fat balls. So they take it and they do it again, and more little things come out, and more little things, more little things. And if you were to ultrasound these people, you'd find they don't necessarily all have gallstones. So the other issue with the gallbladder flush, the old school one, is the body recycles bile. It's, a, it's very valuable. Now, the downside of recycling bile is you also recycle hormones and you know and certain drugs and chemicals so there is an enteropathic enteropathic uh recirculation system which sometimes can backfire on us but um, when you do the liver gallbladder flush you're forcing all the bile out and 
now the it's sort of like doing a um, an oil flush in your car and not putting oil back in. That's going to cause you know. Yes, it's great you got the old oil out, but you have to to put more oil back in. So the classic liver gallbladder flush, you know, you can do it once or twice, but for the people that get caught in that trap where they keep doing it because they think they're still getting stones out, they drain their liver dry of bile, and now that without enough bile there, things start to now they now they do get stones because now it's completely dried up and everything's very sludgy. So that's kind of like another uh, another trap. So what we did is we made a suppository for the liver for liver gallbladder flush, kidney flush. Now you don't um, you can definitely do this without suppository. There's two reasons to, to take a suppository, right? One is the ingredients will be destroyed by digestion, and the other is location. Now, unlike the, the Xenoplex, which is our phase one, phase two, or metacardium, which is for metals, the things that would help the gallstones and kidney stones, you can take them orally just fine. There's all sorts of teas, chanka, piedra, breakstone. There's lots of things you can take orally, malic acid, that will survive just fine. However, the liver is, uh, the portal vein for the liver is right there, uh, an inch in the rectum. So location is fantastic for access to the liver. So when we make um, vitamin suppositories and a person takes it, what, what is the ingredients in the suppository go straight to the liver first pass, was right in. The idea is not to have a, a very um, dramatic expulsion of stones, although we have seen that happen, but more to slowly melt them out. Because when you have a very dramatic expulsion of stones, Sometimes they can backfire up into the pancreatic duct when you're doing with the gallbladder flushes. I'm told the only thing more painful than a kidney stone is a, is a gall, gallbladder stone. And I had kidney stones once before I knew what I was doing, and I would never want that again. So I can't even imagine what a gallstone attack would feel like. Be a little cautious with liver gallbladder flushes. What I would say is if you want to do that, uh, soften the stones for a good week or two first to make sure that everything's ready and primed and then pop it all out and then do a lot of glycine and taurine orally to rebuild your bile that's my advice for, that's my suggestion for people that want to do that and for whatever reason don't have access to our suppositories um, the other is you know there's a fat with low fat diets and of course if you don't eat fat uh, aside from the fact that every cell membrane in the body all the hormones in the brain is made out of fat what happens is there's no stimulus for the bile to secrete, so the person can get jammed up. And also um, chlorine. If someone um, is in a heavily chlorinated area, maybe the, the uh, swimmers in a pool or the water they bathe in is highly chlorinated, that um, can precipitate gallstones because it robs the body of uh, the amino acids, taurine and glycine, which are used to make bile. So our phase three solution uh, is our vitamins for opening the windows per se, for getting the kidneys and gallbladder to open up so that all the things that we've made soluble with metacardium in terms of metals uh, and the chemicals in terms of the Xenoplex have a, a straight shot out. And so those that's sort of like our three main detoxifier products. And we've you know, gone on to make 15 different products, but those are our three kind of classic ones. Yeah, I love that your suppositories that you created. And I, I agree with you. It's so many people have issues with digestion that even if they're taking supplements they need to detox, many times they're not absorbing them because of the things that you mentioned and people just have stress and poor absorption ability. And so I think it's very important. You can you can take a lot of different types of supplements and insert them rectally via suppository. 
and bypass mm-hmm. that whole digestive mechanism and bypass expensive chelation sessions at the physician's office, which end up, you know, can be harmful to the kidneys. IV chelation can be very harmful to the kidneys and it's very, very expensive and time consuming. So can you talk a little bit about that, about using sure. suppositories versus IV chelation and maybe any research uh, yeah. as, as far yeah. as suppository use? That's a great point. When people do the IVs, you know, one of the reasons they're having kidney problems is they're forcing too, they're doing it too fast. Chelation is better done. There's a certain speed to do that. And if you go too quickly, uh, yeah, the kidneys can get hurt. And an IV session is typically done over two hours. Whereas our suppositories, if you think like about five of our suppositories are about the equivalent of one IV. So we're splitting it up and it takes, say, an you know, uh, an hour or two for it to fully make its way through its system. You can see now that we're doing in 10 hours what they do in two. And some people will say, well, you're taking longer. And I'm like, yes, yes, we are. When we were doing uh, our initial um, proof of safety and efficacy tests with blood work, one of the parameters I checked was BUN creatinine. Uh, I checked a lot of parameters and every parameter I checked before and after uh, magnesium dipotassium EDTA that was significantly improved. Uh, improved to the point where uh, when I shared the studies, the people didn't believe them. The BUN creatinine was tremendously improved. And, you know, kidneys are a very slow organ to heal. I mean, typically, if someone goes on dialysis, they don't get off until they're dead. It's not typically the thing someone recovers from. You can use CoQ10. It's certainly helpful. Chelation that's calcium-free, anyway, um, is the only thing I've ever seen that really has the effect that, that I'm looking for in terms of the kidneys. And I think part of it is because we're, uh, you know, the, the kidneys li- are literally a filter, right? Unlike the liver, the, which is making conjugates, the kidney is actually mechanically working. And like any pump, if, if it gets, um, the pump gets calcified, it's not going to work properly. So the kidneys are working uh, against a gradient, pulling um, so, uh, minerals out of the blood, and pumping and pumping and pumping. And when they get jammed full of minerals, what do they do? And you can, you can look at tissue under ultrasound and you can see, does it have the right density or is it starting to you know, turn to stone? As people age, yeah, they lose kidney function because it's fully getting jammed up. Uh, the studies I've seen with suppository range from like 70, 75% up to 90% as good as an IV. I believe if they were to wait long enough, I think the difference in, in the how much gets absorbed is how long they're waiting um, to see how much comes out. And I think that, uh, like it's not only safer, but more efficient to be slower and more gradual. And I think the fact that, um, smaller doses by suppository seem to universally improve kidney function, whereas higher doses by IV kidney, you know, you have to be very careful not to hurt someone's kidneys as an indication that that's a better way to go. You know, there was a, a study in Switzerland where they showed that uh, IV chelation decreased mortality of heart attacks and cancer by 86 and 90 percent, 90 percent. I don't remember which one was which, but it's about the same. Yeah. And so, you know, it's um, chelation is not just taking out the metals, but taking out the, the calcium. It's, um, it's a phenomenal thing to do for the, for the body. If you were to take a look at any animal and look at cross sections of its tissue as it ages, you'll see an exponential increase in the amount of calcium. So all animals become statues. They turn to stone as they age. And 
if you want to stretch that out, and the, the book, The Calcium Bomb, is a great way to, under, to learn more about this. Having some kind of solution that can pull calcium up is a great idea. The study they did in rotifers, which are little creatures that live, you know, seven or ten days, is, you know, again, you saw that every day they lived, the calcium level went up and up and up, unless they raised them in some kind of chelating bath, some kind of acid bath, whether it was citric acid or EDTA or whatever acid they used. I know a lot of people think an alkaline diet is great, but that's not to say we don't also need acids. And we need stomach acid to digest. And we need acids on our skin to protect us. And there's a lot of acids. Uh, so for instance, when a person exercises, they're making lactic acid. When they eat an apple, it's malic acid. And they have apple cider vinegar. Uh, so there's all these acids they can get. And the acids have this decalcifying ability to them. So um, you know, historically, drinking some kind of vinegar for health has been done for thousands of years. And when you take the grapes, you make the wine, you let it sit too long, you've got vinegar and you put it in your salad as a dressing. And people were drinking apple cider vinegar for thousands of years. What they're doing is they're chelating. So what EDTA is, is just a smarter vinegar. We're saying, okay, vinegar is working by nature of the fact that it's acid binding to this positive metal, this basic alkaline metal, and escorting it out. What can we make in a lab that's even stronger, even better, uh, considering just how many metals we have in us? Uh, and some of them are more or less reactive. So EDTA is a negative four charge. That's why it's so good at grabbing onto things because it's just that it, it's got that much of a pull that it can just grab onto all sorts of stuff. So uh, if you can do EDTA, fantastic. If not, you know, um, take a shot glass of apple cider vinegar mixed in a, a glass of water every morning and go for go for a little bit of a jog and, and build up some lactic acid. Uh, the acids are the way the body gets rid of the toxic alkaline metals. Yeah, and it's such an interesting concept to think of uh, calcium that's technically a mineral can actually be something akin to a toxic metal. And I see lots and lots of clients that have, uh, you know, low to extremely high calcium levels on various testing. And we know that's a big problem, especially a lot of people just, you know, taking vitamin D and megadosing vitamin D. This is a hormone that increases mm -hmm. calcium absorption from your gut. And then we have lots of garbage calcium supplements on the market that are not a very good, highly absorbable form. And lots of menopausal women are taking that to improve bone health. And then people are drinking dairy for calcium. Mm. Can we talk a little about that? Calcium's nutritional necessity versus, mm. uh, you know, maybe menopausal women and women that are concerned about increasing their bone density and how that sure. plays into the whole detox conversation we're having. Right. So you have the osteoblasts and the osteoclasts constantly in the process of breaking down and rebuilding bone. And then there's all the hormones and the vitamin K and vitamin D and all of these things. It's a very complex mechanism. And like all complex mechanisms, it fails over time. So uh, what happens uh, is when we're young, we have very, you know, our calcium is in our teeth, bones, and very little else. And as we get older, it gets in the kidney as kidney stones, as in muscles, as fibromyalgia. It gets in the brain as brain sand or acerulite. It gets in the prostate as prostate stones, the gallbladder as gallstones. 
It gets in the arteries, arteriosclerosis. The breast has breast calcifications. It gets everywhere. There's no organ tissue that does not calcify as we age, as far as I know. And we have lots of names for all these diseases, but really they're all the same thing. They're dystrophic calcium. Um, we do make something called a phosphocitrate uh, in the body that's supposed to deal with this, but it goes down age, and I have yet to find a source of this as a supplement or I would be taking it. Consider that from a standpoint of evolution, once we're about 40, we are expendable, right? You're 20 or 15 from an evolutionary standpoint, you have a kid. You're 30, your kid has had a kid, and you get to watch that kid for a little while so your kid can go out and hunt the mastodon. And by the time you're 40, you are now, you know, expendable and your kid becomes, and it moves forward like that. So the human body certainly can make it out as we've seen well past hundred years, but you know, somewhere at around 40, you know, your genes are like, all right, you know, look, um, uh, you know, free time is over. And uh, now you, you can survive, but if, if you want really good health, you're going to work for it. It's not a, it's not a freebie. And uh, calcium deposition is one of those things. And it starts leaving the bones and the teeth and moving into the soft tissue. And, you know, when you're like muscles are getting, you know, tight and you're not as flexible as you used to be and, you know, cataract, and all, all these things, you know, these, all these things start to happen. You know, uh, this is just the body saying, okay, you know, this is, this was how much time I was designed for and anything else after this, I got to work, I got to work at. So the calcium is surprisingly, it was a big surprise for me to realize, wow, this is acting like a toxic metal, not by virtue of what it is, but by virtue of where it goes. So the EDTA that I patented is calcium free. We're the only people out there that have a calcium free EDTA as far as I know. And what we did is we bound, uh, binded it, we attached magnesium and potassium to the EDTA. And EDTA, uh, magnesium and potassium have very, very tenuous hold on EDTA. They're barely holding it, which is what you want. So when that gets in the body, it finds something that the EDTA will bump into something that it has a greater affinity for. The first thing it's gonna bump into is calcium. So it grabs the calcium, and releases the magnesium potassium. So now you've got magnesium potassium in the body, which is good for you. Most people are deficient. And you've got the EDTA, which is now calcium EDTA floating around. And it floats around. And because the calcium has been removed, the blood calcium goes down, we pulled it out of it, or maybe pulled some out of the tissue, the body goes, oh, it's not a lot of calcium. I better take whatever I have and store it for famine, right? I'm in a calcium famine for whatever reason. If I see some, I better stick it away, right? And now the calcium EDTA is floating around and it bumps into, oh, there's some lead. Let's go the calcium for something it has a greater affinity for, grab it onto the lead. So now there's the calcium and the body's like, oh good, I really want that because you just took it away from it. Let me go stick that someplace like some bone. So it's that kind of give and take where you pull it and then you give it back that helps trigger the body to put it into deep storage. And so that's why uh, it's done in the, in the right way. You can actually build bone with chelation if you know what you're doing, which and knowing what you're doing means you pull the calcium out 12 hours later, you actually give someone a little bit of calcium. 
And right, you know, it's important which kind. I usually go with calcium gluconate just because it's inexpensive and well-absorbed. Uh, carbonates, um, you know, are not well-absorbed. Uh, that's basically ground seashells. So that's not a way to go. Um, you can actually go the more sophisticated orotates or glycinates if you like and have access to them. Uh, but I think gluconate works fine. So now through that give and take, you can actually trigger the body along, especially if you're doing some exercise and getting some sunshine, to put the calcium back where you want it to go. Now, uh, inevitably, you know, nobody's going to, you know, very few people have lived past 120 and arguably some of the people that say they have, it turns out it was their daughters that they take their birth certificates or something. So, you know, eventually we are all going to turn to stone. You know, the body will not last forever. But from the studies we've seen with animals, um, you can massively push that curve out. With the rotifers that were chelated regularly, you know, what they looked like at their version of 80 was more like 40. So you can get to the point, you should be able to, with proper chelation, get the calcium so that that's not what gets you in the end. That, you're, you, that problem is you've got that problem dealt with, you know, something else. Now, now the next thing might be, okay, well, how's the pancreas doing? Right? How, is, how are the lungs doing? How are the kidneys doing? Uh, each decade has a, its own um, risk factor in terms of what organ system tends to fail when. And so if you understand uh, that, you can kind of, as you're going through your life, you know, monitoring, you can say, okay, I'm in my 50s. I need to start thinking about heart attacks and cancer. Hey, I'm in my 70s. I need to start looking at my kidney function and lungs. Wow, I just hit 100. Congratulations. I really need to be mindful about how, you know, how I'm protecting the neurons of my brain. Yeah, that, that's fantastic because I think people always want to go in and, and you know rip out the metals, get rid of the mercury and the lead and the, uh, the other metals, and they're not thinking about uh, calcium. And there's lots of lots of people taking supplements and they're taking you know forms of minerals that are are not very absorbable and can even be problematic. There's a lot of cheap supplements out there people buy based on price typically not looking at the forms that they're taking. You really want to be paying attention to that. And so, so you have this great line of suppositories for detoxification. So if someone goes on your website, you know, what, where should they get started? Like what is a recommended uh, protocol where to begin? Well, if you go to Remedy Link, um, there's a video page there. It's mostly geared, you know, it's, it's not there trying to sell you anything. It's there just to share things that, that I am come to believe about how the human body works, places where our healing crashes and how to restart the process. Metacardium, Xenoplex, and Glidamins, the phase, uh, metals uh, phase one, two, and three are, uh, are classic detox protocols. Well, you know, there's one other thing about the calcium I wanted to talk about. Back in the depression, there wasn't a lot of nutritious food available. So they made a, a media presentation to convince people uh, to eat foods they weren't didn't normally eat, and that's how Popeye sailor came about. Like, oh, eat spinach, uh, because people didn't really eat spinach, and spinach is very nutritious, but spinach is extremely high in oxalates, and a lot of the food oxalates are um, chemicals that plants use uh, to store tra uh, transport minerals and to build their structure. And as we have become a more uh, vegetarian society and and gotten into what we think are superfoods, our level of oxalates has gone up tremendously. Kale is enormously high. Some types of kale are enormously high. Chia seeds, 
a lot of things that people think are really healthy for them are loaded with these oxalate crystals. And what happens is oxalate, when it combines with calcium from people that aren't absorbing it properly, forms calcium oxalate. And these very sharp crystals form kidney stones, they form all sorts of problems. And so, you know, I'm not sure if we have time to get into it uh, in this talk. Another type of detox is actually an oxalate detox, where you pull the oxalates out of someone's tissue. And if you do that properly, um, you'll see in the urine, the urine starts looking very cloudy. And if you do it too fast, um, it'll actually get a little bit red because the oxalates can cut the kidneys on the way out, little micro cuts, they can bleed a little bit. You know, obviously you wanna do it slow enough you don't hurt anybody. Uh, but that's something that's just now starting to make the rounds in the alternative medical community is the consequences of all of the oxalates that we're getting in foods that we thought were really good for us and really healthy. And as these crystals form, they just do havoc. The other thing I wanted to really mention is there are a lot of good salts in the body. Good salts meaning metals combined with acids. So for instance, um, sodium uh, phosphate is required for uh, pH balance and calcium uh, sulfate is connective tissue and potassium sulfate is oxidant transport. But we can also make these crystals out of toxic metals so you can get lead sulfate and mercury phosphate. And, and, and so again, under, you know, one aspect of detox that isn't talked about a lot is how uh, these toxins can form crystals in the body. And once they form crystals, they're very difficult to um, dissolve. There's a point in the size of a crystal where once it gets past a certain size, it becomes relatively insoluble. So there's a way in which we've discovered where you can use electricity to uh, help make them become um, more soluble. The basic detox would be something like um, metacardium, xenoplex, and glidamines, and that's supporting the body and dealing with the metals and the chemicals and then escorting them out, understanding what kind of soaps the body needs for the modern toxins um, as we get. You know, if people really want to continue down that path and say, hey, just how healthy can I get? And then we're looking at uh, things like you know, what's the role of electrons in detox? Um, what's the, how do we detoxify scar tissue? And how, why would we consider that a toxin? You know, if you would say a toxin is something that is in the body and is causing problems and you, your body can't resolve it, that's how we define a toxin. Well, scar tissue can be a toxin, right? If a woman has got an abdomen full of scar tissue uh, and, and it's pulling and yanking all her organs out of place, you could call that scar, you could call that toxic. If someone's got calcium deposits in their joints, that's a kind of toxic. There are all sorts of things in the body that accumulate uh, due to toxicity and age and infection. For instance, if someone has a biofilm infection they can't get rid of uh, in some surface of the, of the tissue somewhere, and that bacteria, fungal, parasitic, viral community is generating uh, toxins and immunosuppressants, you know, some, some of the most toxic people in the world are toxic from infection. They have a chronic infection in their tooth, for instance. And, you know, if someone has a root canal done, but they don't get the ligaments out and they start to rot and now they have gangrene and then they have a bacteria that's living on the ligament and then that's dumping down into the tissue and 
crawling up the nerve endings into the brain. So, you know, beginning detoxes, of course, um, metals and chemicals, and then the structural things like the gallstones and kidney stones and sludge. But then we move on to things like aflatoxins and structural, you know, um, scar tissue and crystal crystallizations of various types. And I think the detox model also works for those as well. Can we talk a little bit more about the crystallization of the oxalates and, and other metals? So you have a, a device that, that helps, you know, run electricity through the body. And is it the same vein of uh, the and mechanism of ionic foot baths? Sort of. There are a lot of great electrical devices out there. But by default, electrical devices all pull electrons away from you. Okay, so you know about those giant power lines that people can live under and they always have them over schools for some. So those giant power lines, the scientists will say, look, the field on here, it's so far away, it's not bothering them. And there's cows living underneath them and they're not getting sick, so you're all crazy. Okay, when you run electricity through a wire, the physics of it is that it pulls electrons out of the environment like a vacuum cleaner. So if you were to measure the electron density of the air around any electrical device that's on, you'll see it goes positive. And so when you run high power through, the, through those giant wires overhead, that whole area is a giant vacuum cleaner of electrons. That, and, but the animals don't get sick because they have their hooves or bare paws on the ground. So what happens is all the electricity that's getting pulled out of the air and out of them is being replenished from the earth to them. But a human being or a school child wearing rubber shoes or living in a house, don't, they don't have their feet on the ground. And so they're living in this uh, negative, negative electron vacuum and they're positively charged. And we know that um, there was a study that said that if you remove the, if you, they took rats and they gave them all tumors and the, the rats or mice that they removed the electrons from, they had them in an environment where where, we, where they walked, a carpet crushed against the back of their fur, uh, their tumors grew 30% faster. You know, I called the people who did that study and I said, can we do a, have you tried this study where instead of removing their electrons, you gave them electrons? They're like, you know, it's a great idea. I'm like, let's do it. They're like, sure, $50,000. I'm like, all right, of course. Um, so the people, uh, there's a lot of people getting involved in grounding. And um, so I read the books on grounding and I said, wow, this is amazing stuff. And I tried it and I didn't really notice that much. It was, it was very subtle. I said, well, maybe the reason is um, there's just, I'm not getting enough electrons. So I built a machine that would pump electrons out of the earth and push them into me. Now, all of these other devices like the violet ray and the ion bath, foot bath, all these other things can have amazing results. And they're all stripping you of electrons because by virtue of current, anytime you move electricity through a wire, you're stripping electrons from the environment. And what we do is we don't work with current, we work with voltage. So we're not moving electrons, we're pushing. When our machine is running, there's basically almost zero current. So we're not stripping electrons, we're, we're donating them in. And you know, we evolved, if you have that belief, um, or we're designed to be in an electron-rich environment. We were designed or evolved always with our feet on the ground or in the water or in the ocean. So every cell in our body is used to and expects all the electrons it could possibly want anytime it wants at all, as much as it wants, whenever it wants. But because we wear insulated shoes and 
synthetic clothing that strips it from us and we're around electronics. I mean, even this cord coming down from my ear is stripping electrons out of me. We are electron deficient. Now, people, you know, one of the biggest sellers in, in, in the uh, supplement industry is um, antioxidants. And antioxidants, their job is to move electrons. Now, let's say there's a, a city starving and you send in a thousand trucks, each with one loaf of bread. Well, that's not really going to be successful, right? So the, the loaf of bread is the electron and the truck is the antioxidant. Once that electron is given up, what is, once that loaf of bread is handed out, what use is the truck? But if you had half as many trucks, but an enormous pile of bread right on the outside of the city, and if you keep shuttling back and forth, you're good to go. So we don't need more antioxidants. We need more electrons. Because any, you know, each antioxidant can, can move an electron a million to a billion times a second. So you need a fraction of the amount of, elect of antioxidants you think you do if you have enough electrons for the ones you have to feed them and for them to keep recycling and moving them. They're the trucks moving the, the bread, right? So I started, you know, I, I, so I built this machine to uh, put electricity into the body, specifically electrons. First, I went, around, I went out to see if anyone else had done it. And one company said they had, and I bought it and I measured it. And I'm like, no, you're not, you're not giving electrons, you're taking it, look at the meter. This is an RF unit. You're, you're just doing what? You're just doing uh, uh, RF heating. You're like, oh, sorry. I'm like, well, you know, if you're really sorry, change your advertising. Anyway, so we you know, went through a couple of engineering firms and I found one that made one I liked. And I started using it. And it was like, it was a very strange feeling, Wendy. I was, I was, I'm not going to say I was addicted to it, but you could not get me off this machine for, for weeks. I mean, every moment I had, I would, I would, I would use it. And, you know, my partner was like, are you going to hurt yourself? I'm like, well, maybe, right? Um, but that's my job. I, you know, I've got to find out. And so I took it, you know, used it for like six hours at a time at 35,000 volts. And at 35,000 volts, like my teeth got a little uncomfortable. I felt something in the head and dialed it down, down to around 18, 20,000 volts. I'm like, okay, that feels good. And after two weeks, I finally was like, it was like giving water to someone who'd just been through the desert. I finally was like, okay, I, I think I can walk away from the machine for a little while. And that evening, so that evening, uh, I was going to bed. And as usual, I was going to put my wool socks on because I'd always had cold feet. I ate too much fruit as a kid, thinking it was healthy, and I ended up with peripheral I'm going and I'm reaching for the wool socks, and I'm like, I don't think I need them. Um, so I, but I keep by the bed because I figure I'm going to wake up at three in the morning with freezing ice cube feet. And I sleep through the night with, and my feet are hot. They're warm. Yeah, it's the craziest thing. And for the next few nights, I'm like, my feet are like, they're like hot because my body is recalibrating. And I haven't worn socks to bed now for a year and a half. And when the, uh, what I started realizing was that neuropathy was, neuropathy was going away. Um, and if you've ever had it, it's like pins and needles in your feet. And it's uncomfortable and you can't get your feet touched. It's painful because the nerves are all damaged. And then I'm looking in the mirror. I, I'm feeling this little dry spot on my nose. And I'm looking like, what is that? And it was like a tiny little scab. And I'm kind of pressing on and looking at it. And then a little thing pops out. There's this little hole in my nose. I'm like, what the heck? And then another scab forms. I'm like, there it is again. And another pen comes off again. And then it heals up. And I'm like, what the heck was that? And then I remember. 
there is always a little red dot on my nose, which is like a precancer spot, right? Excess vascularization. And I've been there for like 30 years. And I, to, I just I got so used to looking at it, I didn't think about it. It fell out. It died and fell out. And then the hole filled in. Now, most of us, you know, when they do autopsies on the average healthy um, 30-year-old, they find out that most people have microtumors. Like, you know, get somebody who's 30 years old and dies in a car crash, right? They're not, they're in good shape otherwise, just from a long place, a long time. They'll find, you know, the average woman has two or three microtumors in the breast. The average guy has one or two in his prostate, in the lung. So people are always walking around with these little microtumors. And in healthy people, the uh, surveillance system of the body holds them at bay. But at some point, if one of these things breaks out, um, well, then that's cancer. And, you know, I, I think that the little spot on my nose is basically like one of my, it was a visible microtumor. And I thought, wow, but not that one out that I could see. You know, I wonder if it knocked out a bunch that I couldn't see. And then um, we, you know, so now I'm experimenting this. Thing. I have a couple they made. And I got one to uh, an old friend who was going through a hard time. And two weeks into her using it, um, she starts sending me pictures of things coming out of the toilet. And I'm looking and I'm like, I'm like, those are liver flukes. And she's getting cups of worms out of it. And the liver flukes were pretty nasty. And I'm like, oh, like electricity worms. So I, you know, I do an internet search. I'm like, electricity and worms. And what shows up on YouTube are videos of country folk who will go to the riverbank with a car battery and two metal probes. And they'll stick the probes into the riverbank and to the battery. And worms will crawl out of the soil. They grab the worms and they go fishing. It turns out worms don't like electricity. So I think that's what's going on. And, you know, I have suggested it to a few other people. And they're like, well, can't we just kill the worms? And I'm like, well, here's the deal. If you try to kill a worm, one of a couple of things will happen. You'll kill it and the body will expel it. Great. You'll kill it and it'll die in place and never leave. Like if it's in the in the liver or something. And now your body's going to have to insist the thing. And when it breaks down inside the worm was the, the bacteria, inside the bacteria was the virus, it's nasty talk. Inside all of that was all the toxic junk he was eating. He, and then the third one is you just piss it off, irritate it, and it digs deeper into the body. So really the best option for parasites is to make them want to leave intact of their own volition. And that was what was happening, and it's happened now for quite a few people, where it's just, they're all just, out they go. Now, most, most parasites are invisible to the naked eye, but we did have, and I've got pictures after pictures of worms coming out, they're wriggling in the toilet, they're just leaving the area. The way I, I, I try to try to reason is like cancer, worms, electricity. And one of the things you know about cancer is, if you take a healthy cell and lower its voltage, it becomes cancerous. And if you take a cancer cell and raise its voltage, it stops dividing. So we know that sickness is associated with lower voltage. Now, worms and that whole class of composters, you know, you find them in the compost pile. That's their job in nature is to find the dead and decaying, diseased matter and eat it and turn it into good soil. You know, if we didn't have worms, we, you know, our crops would be in a, in a bad way. So, you know, they're not bad. So I thought, okay, if I have, or a client has worms in them, why would they stay in the body? Why wouldn't they just say, well, this isn't a place to live? And the only thing I can think is the voltage is too low. The worm is saying, 
this seems like a compost pile, and I know it's a compost pile because the voltage is so low. And the, and the only place I find low voltage is in dead and dying matter. And the voltage is so low because we live in an environment where we walk around with rubber sole shoes and synthetic clothing that pulls electrons off of us, and we're around electronics. So it's constantly draining out our electrons. And then, and we are also constantly eating worm eggs. We're constantly eating bacteria. We're constantly eating fungus. There's no way not to get these things. We can't live in a bubble unless you steam start, you know, only eat pressure canned food. And so, you know, these things get in and then they say, oh, low voltage. All right, you know, time to get to work. And then when the voltage, you know, if you can give the electrons to someone, someone with our machine or in some similar manner, and the voltage goes up, they're like, oh, this isn't a compost pile. What am I doing here? I don't like this place at all. Let's get out. And um, they wiggle their way out and you know, flush them down the toilet. And there you go. And then also EMFs will lower uh, or cause you to have more positive charge as well. And the, the yeah. adding insult to injury of our already low voltage body. Um, but let's talk about what is the name of the, the machine that you developed and can people buy it? Sure. Um, the machine was, uh, you know, something that's gone through a couple of evolutions and uh, you still make them in small batches. And it's designed to pump, I think it goes up to 18,000 volts of electrons into the body. Um, and the way I would explain it is, um, let's say you have a, an, an RV and you only take it out in the summer. And when fall comes around and you're done, you put a trickle charger on the battery. And what that does is it just gives a little bit of electricity continually to keep the battery charged. And as long as the battery was charged, when you put the trickle charger on, the battery is fine. But if the battery was dead, you can't use a trickle charger because it can't charge the battery. So then you need to, um, if there's a dead battery, you have to get to charge a battery, you need a battery charger. But if the battery's been dead for a while, uh, then you need a very special kind of battery charger, one that uh, uh, does high voltage spikes. Because what happens is the way a battery works is the chemistry uh, is it forms crystals. You know, you have the lead and the sulfur, and they form the crystal lead sulfate, and the electricity is given out. Uh, and then when the electricity goes in, it goes, um, goes back into solution. But if you let the crystals of lead sulfate get big enough, uh, it can't take a charge anymore. So you have to break those crystals down, put them back into solution, and then the battery will work again. So if you have a cell phone and, and no matter how many times you give it a full charge, it only lasts an hour, it's crystallized internally. Now, the same thing I, I suspect happens in the human body. When the charge is low enough, long enough, you can't recharge it so easily because it's crystallized. And we talked about, um, you know, the, the heavy metal crystals and the oxalates, the body physically crystallizes. And not only is that uncomfortable, but in terms of where these crystals are forming, but it also lowers our, our energy level. So what the machine is designed to do is say, okay, when someone goes and grounds, and by grounding um, that, like you put your feet on the earth and it certainly feels nice, that's a trickle charge. And if you were born in um, an Amazon rainforest, and either walked around barefoot or with leather sandals, and you would never need a machine like I make because you would be constantly getting trickle charge from the environment and you wouldn't be around anything that's draining 
off all your charge. Like, you know, if you leave the lights on your car all night, you come back, your battery's dead. Well, you know, being around electronics and walking around with with shoes on is like leaving the lights in your car, car on all night. It just, it kills the batteries. And we have every one of our cells, all 31 trillion of them are little batteries. So I said, okay, grounding is not working the way I thought it was because it's a trickle charger and it won't get rid of the crystals. And what I need to do is I need to look and figure out what they do um, to recover batteries that have crystallized and what they use is voltage spikes. So I made, I put a little thing on the machine that would spike. And so the machine, you know, can be used in three ways. One, you can spike it to, for, uh, with crystals. And then when the crystals are gone and, you know, that can take, you know, two weeks to, to six months, depending on how bad the crystal's gotten. Then you can um, back it off a little bit and use it like a battery charger, meaning, okay, you can now hold the charge, let's charge you up. And then uh, for me, it took about a year till I got to the point where I could use it like a trickle charger. My tissue was so decrystallized and I was so able to charge up again that now I'm at the point where I can do it for five or 10 minutes once or twice a day. And if I don't do it for a couple of days, it's no big deal. But uh, that's the, the concept is our bodies are designed to store electricity we generate electricity with every step we take because when you press and when bones compress they generate an electric charge so the device was designed to operate along all three parameters it was designed to help decrystallize the tissue uh, help charge the batteries and then to trickle charge you when you're uh, finally recovered and i would say from my own experience it took me maybe a month a month and a half to decrystallize it took me about a year to fully charge up. And now I'm at the point where I just need a little bit of a top off now and then. And, you know, my stamina is just, you know, I just got, I've got the endurance I had when I was young, which is nice. Yeah, it sounds fascinating. And what is the name of the device? Oh, yeah, Electron Charger. Okay, great. <laughs> Very simple. Very, cut, you know, cut and dry yeah. to the point. Yeah. And so you can get that on remedylink.com. And so tell us, uh, so we can get all of your your suppositories, your your detox protocols and everything, and the electron charger on remedylink.com. You can. Um, the suppositories and all the other products we make uh, were almost always uh, have them in stock. Uh, we don't ship out um, in heat waves because we don't put chemical stabilizers and preservatives in them. The electron charger, uh, they're made in small batches, and uh, if you order one, you might be waiting, you know, uh, two to six weeks. The electron chargers are made in uh, small batches, so we don't always have them in inventory. The worst would be a four-week, six-week wait, because uh, we have them all made uh, at an engineering firm here in the U.S. We don't have them mass-produced in Asia. Okay, great. So that, that's fantastic. This is such an interesting show. And you really gave us a lot of fantastic insights on detoxification, another angle. That's why I love doing this podcast is uh, so many, so many interesting people, you know, that are, uh, you know, doing this research and just trying to hack their own health, hack their own detoxification. So thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. Do you have any like parting thoughts or any, anything else that maybe uh, you want to share with the audience? Yeah, I'd like to uh, share a story. I got a phone call eight years ago, seven years ago. I was still living in Hawaii at the time. Of an older woman, she was in her 80s with a headache, and she 
I'd used the glidamines and she called me to thank me for making her headache go away. And I said, well, I'm, I'm very glad to hear that now. And she goes, no, no, thank you. Thank you, really, thank you. Wow, it sounds like it was a bad headache. And she goes, well, I've had it since I was 15. So this woman had had a headache virtually nonstop for 65 years. And now in the twilight, her final years, she gets to live without a headache. She probably had a trapped gallstone all that time. And what I would say is, you know, a lot of people who come to detox, you know, they're suffering. Their, their body doesn't work the way they want it to. Maybe they've got brain fog, pain, or fatigue. Something's going on. You know, they, you know their body can feel better. And it can get frustrating. You know, you can spend a lot of money and take a lot of time and go down a lot of, you know, rabbit holes and trying to, trying to get better. Uh, but don't give up, you know. Uh, that woman, it took her a while and she didn't give up. You know, you, whatever it is that uh, is bothering, you know, a person, there's a very likely a couple of things that will make them get better. And be patient, keep doing the research, have faith. Uh, your body has an enormous capacity to repair itself. And usually it's just one or two key things that you're missing. And you can figure that out. Your health is waiting for you on the other side of that. Yeah, I love that. That's that's so important to to mention that, you know, people try a lot of different things, a lot of different detoxes and things don't work quite right for them. And there, there's a lot to it. It can be very complex and people have different challenges with their health that you, you, it's a complex puzzle that you, you have to keep at it and keep you know, trying to figure out. Uh, so thanks so much, Spencer, for coming on the show. Uh, so you guys can visit him at remedylink.com. Lots of amazing solutions there. So thanks for tuning in to the Myers Detox podcast. My name is Wendy Myers of myersdetox.com. And thanks for tuning in every week to explore this topic of detox because I, I personally think toxins are the number one primary driver of disease today. You want to be looking at detoxification if you want to live a long, healthy, disease-free, medication-free life. So thanks for tuning in and uh, talk to you guys very soon. The Myers Detox Podcast is created and hosted by Wendy Myers. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Wendy Myers and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.